You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Operators. Uh, Very excited about uh, today's guest, Leonie Lynch. She is joining us from over in Ireland. So I know we always get uh, people calling in from from all over to Operators series, well beyond the United States where I am. And so, again, excited to to have somebody come in from overseas. And so you all know the rules. Throw in the chat where you're calling in from. I'll go first. I'm down in Southern California or Orange County. California, if I know how to type, you know, throw in the chat, get your questions coming as well. I introduce Leonie and we can hear directly from her. So when Leonie first started out Just Be, which is where she is the founder, she was juggling motherhood, studying for a PhD, running a new business. And after a frustrating several year journey, you know, she made the big pivot about two years ago. So May, 2019. And instead of fresh ready-made drinks, you know, she reformulated it into a shelf stable product. So excited to hear about that. And I'm sure that just allowed her to scale a bit more and, and, and ship to a, a much larger customer base. And so today, you know, we're going to talk about identifying like if or when you need to pivot your product offering to expand your target market, how to unlock more time. Uh, I'm really excited to hear about how, you know, she's been able to find more time in her day, which is, you know, the most valuable resource so many of us entrepreneurs have, how to create an efficient and unforgettable unboxing experience as as a lot of these channels just become more expensive and the competitive set continues to grow, you know, it's where is their area to areas to differentiate and really stand out from the competition and, and bring those customers back again. And then just thinking through international expansion, again, a lot of times for, for most of us here, we're based in the US, we're looking to expand as quickly as we can here, and then looking to maybe cross the pond and, and jump over to the UK or Ireland or some of the other English speaking countries and then expand more globally in Europe and, and so forth. But, you know, with Leonie based over in Ireland, her approach has been a little bit different. So before we jump into the questions, Leonie, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, you have a, you know, you have a very uh, diverse career, artist, DJ, Pilates instructor. How did you end up here as an e-commerce founder? Well, there's no logic to my career path. Anyway, I'll say that first of all, other than I've always kind of floated into what interests me rather than what was the end goal. So I went to art college after school because I I liked art and then I ended up painting for 10 years. And then I had an art studio in Dublin. The recession hit just after I had my last exhibition there. And then I came home one weekend and ended up meeting my husband. So that kind of took me from one side of Ireland back to the other one, which I came from. Um, And then I just, I was looking for something creative. I wanted to do a master's and I ended up in a marketing master's in the University of Limerick. And I studied brands and I studied consumer behavior. And then I just fell in love with brands. And at the time I was, uh, I had started to become a Pilates instructor just to put myself through that study because I've always loved training. I've always loved health and wellness and fitness. And then when the master's was over, I got married straight away in Ibiza. And then I went, okay, I actually love brands too much. I want to find out more. So I signed up for five and a half years to do a PhD in 
on visual literacy and branding. So that was kind of where my everything kind of came together, my interest in the visual world and then my interest in business. So my, my PhD was where those two worlds meet. And it was essentially that, you know, the visual is important for brands to do, you know, so so straight away after that or in the middle of that, I had the idea for Just Be and kind of bringing all those skills together, all those interests together. I was able to create a brand, build a brand that was in the health and wellness space that I could play around with the look of um, from an art point of view. And that's kind of where everything kind of came together. So before we get into the important questions, you mentioned, you know, art a few times. You've got your shirt that's much cooler than mine. You design that as well or no? I know. That's just Zara. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there, there we go. So Jespi, you mentioned, you know, while, while traveling and, and through your studies, you know, you decided to launch it. But what was the real catalyst and, and why this space in particular? Yep. Um, like most people, a uh, very simple observation in your own life changes the way you think about something and the, the, the problem that you see and you can't unsee. So for me, it was, it was 2000, just 2013, I had my first daughter. And then 2014, about 10 months later, I was feeding her. Uh, she was 10 months old. I was studying. I was exhausted. And I was trying to wean her and I had seen a bottle of baby or a box of baby formula and it kind of said on the pack everything you need in one box and I just went oh my god babies are getting so well looked after um I actually need that so the idea originated as a kind of a mommy formula or something for really tired mothers because when I was in that space I, I thought I was the most tired person in the world like I thought there was nobody as exhausted as I was so that's kind of where the idea, and that was the catalyst that started. So there was no brand, there was no just the idea. There was just a very simple idea for an all-in-one solution for a really tired person that knew about health. Like I knew about nutrition, I'd studied it, I knew about what to eat, but I was just too tired. And I come from a family where we have a sweet tooth anyway. And my grandmother, she is salt and butter in everything or she was and um so it was like we we like the indulgent side of life as well but I would I would have been a, a bit of a health nut so I kind of would have limited that or you know I could do that but when I was that tired all I craved was sugar all I craved was coffee and chocolate so at the time then I was teaching postnatal Pilates as well because I'd shifted my Pilates career into studying all about postnatal and training women safely. So I used to teach postnatal uh, Pilates classes and all the women that came into me were all tired and all really overeating chocolate and coffee. And, you know, cereal was a big staple of their diet, you know, too tired to cook anything and cereal and was, was the nearest thing they had. And these were like smart women, early thirties, just, you know, knew better, but just too tired. So that was the catalyst. I really didn't do anything else with it only an occasional thought until I graduated. So I graduated in the summer of 2016, six months pregnant again. So I thought, what better time to dive back into the postnatal space when I was going to be postnatal again myself and kind of do some like really empathetic consumer research through my own eyes. Nice. That really hits home for me again. I obviously did not deliver the baby, but I, I never drank coffee until we had our first child. And it just, yeah, definitely changes your life. And next thing I know, I'm buying whatever the venti's from Americanos from like Starbucks just to like inject caffeine into my veins. Just anything. Um, you were just 
anything and you just want anybody to do it for you. <laughs> exactly. Just be, what does just be mean? Or like, what, what's the significance there? Yeah. So uh, leading on from that. So as I said, the, the whole idea has gone from the postnatal space now, but, and, and it was again, another consumer insight from one of my ex Pilates students was she said, I'm more postnatal now and more tired now, three years after, because I'm back at work, I've, you know, toddlers and I'm like so tired. So it kind of shifted me from, okay, tired, busy people. So then I started developing the brand and I didn't have a name for it yet. And it kind of, the, the, the whole idea of the brand was when you're a new mom, at least, as I said, the catalyst for this idea or this concept was when you're so tired and so busy, you get through the day and each day is different and each day can be more challenging than the next. So whatever way I turn up on this particular day, don't judge me for it. You know, if I get dressed some days as a mom, that's a big deal. If, you know, the house is not going to be clean, you know, and the, the key thing, the key term that we did when we developed, started developing the brand was unapologetic. So it's just such a great word for, you know, you are who you are today and there's life challenges and life stages that affect what you're doing today. So you get on with things. So you just be who you are. And then when we started doing the, we, I want, I always wanted a cool brand name, one that was made up, one I could get the .com and trademark for. So myself, my brother, he works in product and my, my cousin, they're both 10 years younger than me, uh, what marketing as well. So we sat in a room and brainstormed and I pitched, you know, that I, I wanted to be kind of like, you're enough in the day you're, you know, live in moments, live in your life stage, you know, that life changes all the time and just be. So then a WhatsApp group and a couple of days later, my cousin threw out the term just be. And I thought, oh, it's very holistic and it's very kind of, you know, beauty parlor or something like a massage parlor. And my brother said, just spell it phonetically. So just be. So the brand is playful and it kind of fits with that because it's made up. And then a cool story about the, the brand was, so I checked the trademark. I could get the trademark straight away. And then I looked for the dot com. So funnily enough, the dot com was gone. So I found out who owned the dot com and I emailed her and she was a mother of five in New Jersey or Jersey, the island actually. And I emailed her and she sold it to me for 200 euros. So I got the dot com. That's a, that's a great price for a five letter dot com. Yeah, she had it years. She just, again, met it up herself. So yeah, I was, I was set from there. So just be means just be, just be you. I like that. And you mentioned, you know, uh, especially with your brother's background and, and, you know, your, your understanding of the marketing space as well, just spelling it phonetically. Sometimes I see these companies and I'm, you have to ask them 17 times over, like, how do you spell that? What, what is, what is it? There's a, there's a number in the middle of that domain. So it's important. And it's something that people can remember. And if you tell them out on the street, you know, when they go home, they can, they can type it in and remember it as well. But it's funny because I got a lot of stick at the start from people saying no one's going to pronounce that properly. They're going to say, you know, just pee, like you're going to the bathroom and it's going to be just pie. And it's really funny because when I brought, when I had the fresh drink, which was the first product, because it was kind of like a smoothie bottle, they presumed that the brand was called Juice Pie because it called kind of a smoothie juice kind of area. So I ended up using it as an excuse to... I did a little short video for Instagram recently, recently just telling people how to pronounce it. So it's not just by or just P, it's just be like a bit of fun, you know? So any problem, you can turn it into a marketing video. Nice. I like it. I know when I was joining uh, ShipBob almost three years ago, 
and I was telling people, you know, where I was going, they're like, ship Bob. And they're like, Oh, so the first thing you can do is change the name. And like, everybody said that. And I'm like, well, I think the name is pretty genius then because everybody remembers it. And also you tell somebody walking down the street or in a bar, they're, they're going to remember it and be able to spell it on the first time. So let's get back to you and like your, your product evolution. You started creating something that, uh, you know, was this fresh ready made drink and then you made it into this shelf stable product. What was, what was the tipping point there? And what did, how did that impact how you were able to expand your total addressable market and, and really start to grow much faster? Yeah, it's funny when you make decisions when you don't know what you don't know. Like the original idea was for a powdered formula for busy people or for moms. And then I asked advice of someone and they were like, you know what? Aren't moms busy enough making up bottles? Won't they want something to to drink straight away? And I went, yeah, that's a great idea. And it went full of my bias. And I went and went on a three-year journey creating a product that was so difficult to get off the ground. So I developed this amazing tasting, like you might not know in the States about a, a bar of chocolate called Terry's Chocolate Orange. And it was a chocolate bar. It tasted like that. Like it was like a melted chocolate Easter egg. So it was made with the 10 most amazing ingredients, all natural. And I made sure it was all natural, but that that had consequences. So it was a 30 day shelf life. Then I found a process called high pressure processing, which it's like as if it's under the sea and it kills all the microbiome really under water. Uh, that buys you another 14 days. So we had about 43, 44 days on the, on the drink, but couldn't find anyone to make it. Because I was a mom with two young kids, I wanted an e-commerce business and I wanted to be able to stay at home with the kids and, and juggle my life around their school and preschool and the business. What I ended up doing was going down to Cork, manufacturing a thousand bottles, like pouring them like I was working in a bar into a bottle, capping the bottle, labeling the bottle, packing the boxes, and they had to go straight into chill storage. So really expensive courier, chill storage, back up to Dublin to get that process done to lengthen the shelf life, back down to Limerick to get storage into the cool freezer place and unpacking boxes again, and then labeling them myself. It was just so laborsome. And then I had to go and stand in shops and give out samples and try and convince people that weren't my target market that it was a nice, healthy product. And because it was made with cacao, but it looked like chocolate, they wouldn't taste it because they didn't believe me that it was good for you or that it was healthy. So what I always heard was, oh, no, 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 I'm trying to be good. So people have such, they don't believe, they don't, be, I, I don't blame them because marketing can be so uh, dis, or, um, deceptive but they would not believe me that it was good for them. But it was an incredible product that I hope we we'll go back to at some point. But manufacturing, distribution, everything was against me and the chill chain was the last straw. But I plugged away. I wasn't ready to give up. Not that I was being stubborn because I didn't want to give up. It was, I wanted to go as far as I could possibly go. And then I couldn't see anything else. And it was like, um, it's like a painting. So when we were in art college and we do a painting, when you're doing a painting, you know when it's done. You keep going like and, and people go, how did you know to stop there? You just kind of instinctively know. So I knew with my product and the brand, I hadn't gotten there yet. And then May 2019, I had beaten every door. I had run out of money, run out of energy like I was. So 2016, I really started this. So this was three years later, never getting paid, never getting anything other. So I was like energy was coming from within and just, you know, stubborn, keep going, keep going. I didn't want to just leave it go. So then in 2019, I had a conversation with a really good friend of mine 
And he had had a fresh business, but was kind of a year ahead of me in his journey. And he had, about a year and a half before me, he had, he kept on, he changed his fresh product to an ambient product, amazing product called Feed, F-I-I-D. And he, he ended up putting it into a pouch and he's gone through the roof with his product since he went ambient. So for a year, just a year before that I spoke to him, he was, I'd get these whispers or these texts saying ambient, ambient, you know, go into long shelf life. And I just wasn't ready to let go. But May 2019, I was, I was done. I wasn't done on just be, I was done with that product. I couldn't see any, anything else to get it to the next stage. So after that, I took the summer to kind of look through all my notes of three years. Why am I doing this? What's the product about? You know, that and I decided through another conversation with a guy who said, I'll help you reformulate it as a powder. So that was the exhaustion point, crossroads, whatever, the big pivot to try and restart the business again from from that date. And, And where was he based? Was he in Ireland as well? He was in Ireland. I actually... I used to buy my collagen from him and he has a business that packs powder products. So it was like perfect. And he spent six months with me reformulating it as a powder. Okay, nice. That's what I was going to ask is how long was that process to turn into a powder when you were able to really start to scale it to the masses? We started the, the process in September 2019 and we signed off on the recipe in late January 2020. And it was really interesting because I know it's been a really long journey to be able to restart the business, but everything I learned in those three years, I've used since. So for argument's sake, when we were reformulating it, some of the ingredients didn't translate into powder. So there was flax oil in the drink. There was an orange essence that was like a game changer for the drink, but they didn't translate into the powder. Like flaxseed was going to be gritty. So for me, The reason I started taking collagen years ago in the first place was because you didn't taste it. It didn't, it wasn't gritty. There was no mouthfeel and I'd be kind of odd with things like that. So I hate, hate is a strong word, but I hate whey protein. I don't like plant proteins, hemp, pea, rice. I've tried them all and I just can't stomach uh, protein powders like that. So collagen was always a winner for me. But what was interesting when I, when I had it in the drink four years ago now, nobody in Ireland cared. So you're only using your own market as a test bed, obviously, but no one in Ireland cared what collagen was. Like I'd have it on the front pack and we tested it and, and they're like, oh yeah, it tastes nice. Oh yeah, that's fine. And then they had a kind of a different reaction from bovine collagen to marine collagen, which was really interesting. So the idea of bovine collagen really kind of made them turn their nose up. So that's one of the big decisions I made to change to marine collagen for this product. The other things we changed was we added ashwagandha to it and baobab. Uh, baobab was for vitamin C for collagen. And the ashwagandha was just an ingredient that I loved for the idea of, you know, stress and sleep and all that kind of stuff. So we reformulated it. And the reason it took so long basically was because of my goal for mouthfeel and my goal for taste. And I was obsessive about the taste. So yeah, that's why it took a little bit longer. From a branding perspective in your website, did you have to revamp everything? Yeah. So from the website, we like Ireland is actually great. There's a really good uh, startup community and there's a really good government aids. So the government in Ireland have a thing called the trading online voucher. And what they do is they give you like 
50% of up to five grand to get online as a business or to revamp. So our timing was kind of good in some ways that when COVID hit, it was around the time that I wanted to launch and it pushed everything back by six months again. But what it did was, you know, I could apply for that voucher. I got that voucher. I was able to reskin the whole website, make it really e-commerce ready. And kind of, you know, just make sure that that I was ready to to build an online business more so than a, a, a brochure website. So that's what that did for me for that. So talking through that, who built it? How'd you go about that? What, what did you build it on? How'd you know where to get started? I have a, a genius, a very close friend of mine, Emily Ross. She has a company called Inkvine. Uh, she's a tech marketer and she basically, they do, they do websites or they did websites and she reskinned it for me and rebuilt it for me her company and with the design the actual design and the layout was done probably two years previous by my brand people so at the time I had asked them for and I'm a nightmare client right so I was like I want a bespoke one that you can build really cheaply you know that one so I did that and they so she designed it and then that was kind of one of the things that we had to tweak for this was my previous website was coded to have those designs kind of floating throughout which meant I couldn't change the back end. So for me being on my own, I needed to be able to change the back end. So we went for a WordPress website. We went for a theme called Oshine because it's really easy to just dra- drag and drop blocks and reskin them. And then they built it. I give them the content. I've met a few creative people along the way that have done the photography and the design work. So that's kind of how we, we got the website up. It's As I said, it's a WordPress there was that kind of decision. Again, I, I don't know if it's the right one or not yet because everybody seems to be using Shopify, but I'm on WooCommerce and I find WooCommerce absolutely fine. And it's, you know, it was so easy to integrate it into ShipBob as well. So it's doing its job perfectly right now. So I can't complain. That's great. And I mean, WordPress powers like a third of the internet and they own Woo and Woo's used by millions. And so... You know, I don't think you can go wrong there depending on the type of company you're, you're looking to build. And, and if it gives somebody like you that flexibility to build on their on your own, that's great. So maybe any examples there of like where WooCommerce has really stood out to you in, in a good way and how you've been able to build where you're not like a programmer or any types of add-ons or plugins that you've thrown in there to make your life easier? Yeah, like I, I've gotten brave over the last few months. So guys in Inkfine would have built the website and then they do the updates that Ian would say, why is there three new plugins here? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I've just uh, added this and this and this. So that's what, what every developer likes to see, a bunch of new plugins and like random code. So I'm, I'm yeah. sure that will. And they're WooCommerce ones, but they're not like certified, you know, perfect yet. So it's, you know, you get all these, you know, update warnings if you, if you put them out. But well, let me see. Oh, a tip for everybody as well. So I got... I just stumbled upon a WooCommerce page. I was looking for something on Black Friday last year. And WooCommerce like discount, I think it was 50% all of their programs on Black Friday. So I got my a couple of plugins uh, for half price on that that day. But what um it was linking WooCommerce to MailChimp actually was really is really good because you can see then what campaigns are working and what ones are bringing in conversion, the tracking obviously to link in with ShipBob, that was there's a tracking plugin for that. Yeah, just just the the I don't like I haven't added too many plugins, but like for the for the WooCommerce, they evade me now in my head for a minute. Well, I like that as well. It's especially as you know a solopreneur or 
somebody running a small team, it's good just to stay focused on, you know, a handful of the channels that work and not to spread yourself too thin. And so maybe let's talk about ShipBob a little bit or from the fulfillment standpoint, what were you doing before and what was the tipping point to get you to come over to ShipBob? My husband laughs at this. So this is the honest truth, right, of my pain point. So when I launched in October, my goal was to find a fulfillment partner by June so I could go to the West Clare to the seaside where we have a mobile home or a caravan, like in a caravan park. So I could work from there with the kids for two months of the summer. So that was the goal, honestly. That's so an I was, amazing goal, by the way. I love it. So I just wanted to be able to work from the computer wherever, you know, re- remotely wherever. Whereas before that, so since we launched, it was orders would come in here. I would do two things. I would either be really organized and build 100 boxes or 200 boxes at a time and stack them in all the rooms over there and in this room. And then I'd try and I'd package the, the product and the stuffing and close the box and put our branded tape around it and have them ready to go. And then just like I'd fill that wall from floor, floor to ceiling with beautiful just be boxes. And then when the orders came in, I would just have to print the label. So, but when I say just have to print the label, that would still take me three minutes to take the information from here, here, type it onto the computer. You know, you had to input area codes, phone numbers, email addresses, all by hand, and then print and then stick. And then the, deli- the delivery guy would come at four o'clock every day and take all boxes I had. If I wasn't organized, what I would do was I would be on a project on my computer, trying to do an email campaign or do some other work. An order would come in through my right side of the top of the computer. And then I stand up and then I individually pack something, which took way longer. It interrupted my train of thought. thought, And it just seemed to take over the whole day, even though, you know, it was just orders coming in. So this was this is where it all happened. That's a lot. <laughs> and, and we hear that often, you know, is you, you're talking to people who are looking to switch and their background is, I'm sure, like what your background looked like before you switched over, which is just boxes filled to the ceiling and just spending a lot of time there. I have to show you, I don't know if you can see this. So I, as a Pilates instructor, I have a Pilates reformer here, but instead of it being a Pilates reformer, it's full of boxes underneath <laughs> and on top. So yeah, this used to be my like training room in my office, but now it's just storage for boxes. There you go, your your former fulfillment center. And so with these individuals that were buying, were they based in Ireland? Were they based in Europe? Were they based around, around the world? Like what did that look like? So primarily Ireland, but there was a few people that heard from a few people and there was Amsterdam and France and Brussels maybe. And the problem with that is, the cost of postage was insane for for those countries. So I have my carrier or had my carrier in Ireland, which were great and really, really efficient. But it could, I was charged, I think at 1.50 euros to ship to Norway for one small package with our Irish postal system. It's just been overrun with COVID problems, taking weeks to get there, tracking made no difference and you're paying by weight. So it could be 40 euros for a postage for a product that wasn't even 40 euros itself. So that was really challenging because I kind of wanted to get the word out there, obviously, about just being, I still do, but it's too expensive if that's the case. Whereas with ShipBob, the European price for shipping is fantastic, including the, the pick and the pack and everything. That's great. And we, we can get back to that in a second, but from like a marketing standpoint, how are you attracting these customers in Ireland? And then how are you attracting these customers, you know, outside of Ireland? 
again through the back end of the WooCommerce website, they you know obviously you have the the customer origin uh, Google Analytics as well. I, I guess how are they hearing about Justbe? Oh, uh, word of mouth. Like I haven't done like all of most of the marketing I've done up to a couple of weeks ago has been organic. Okay. Yeah, me shouting about it. <laughs> nice. I love it. Leading with the passion. And so with ShipBob, so now you utilize ShipBob, you're in the Ireland facility. Are you elsewhere too? Or are you looking to move into like the UK or, or the US? Like what's next? Yeah. So I've always had global ambition. It's a hashtag here in Ireland for enterprise, but it's uh, it's something like my, my kind of motto is you go big or go home. So there's no point in not getting paid for five years for working 14 hours a day, you know, for constantly thinking about it in the middle of the night, if you're not going to go big or go home. And, you know, again, I always wanted to build a brand that was worth something that was, you know, that it stood for something and that was fun and that could build into an iconic brand. So for me, again, I had just like my goal for the summer with the fulfillment. It seemed out of reach and I was looking at kind of who was doing it in Ireland and there's a lot of companies doing it in Ireland and some Irish companies as well. But for me, because of my ambitions and where I want to go with this, the fact that ShipBob, first of all, was an American company based in Canada, based in Ireland, based in the UK. For me, the logistics of dealing with one partner that could do all that and that could help me get this product around the world was just, again, a friend of mine said to me, this sounds too good to be true. Do your due diligence and find someone. And I actually asked uh, a guy we know that's really heavy into the e-commerce space. And he was like, yeah, I've heard of them. I've heard loads of people say really good things about them. Go for it. And it was, you know, it was a risk because I didn't know anything about ShipBob at the time. But um, yeah, worth the risk. Good. I'm glad. I, I know you mentioned to my colleague, Christina, that you saved something like 40 to 50 percent of your time, which was spent on fulfillment. And that's not outside the norm. We hear that all the time. Any other tips, you know, for people looking to save time to run their business or I guess what, what's next when you look at like the things that you need to start to get off of your plate to keep giving you more time in the day? I don't think I'll ever get more time in the day as such. Just use the time for better things. So mm-hmm. what I learned about the fresh product was my time was so wasted standing in the shop giving out samples. And I'm not saying that that's not important or that you don't talk to your customers. I'm just talking to my customers in a different way. So I just saw someone put up in the chat there, like, how do you how do you offer money back guarantee? I don't. It's something I'd have no problem doing because I'm so confident with my product. But what I have done there, and this is some time I've got back to do something else, which was we decided to put up an offer where you just sign up to get a free sample because it's a new product. It's an expensive product. Marketers tell people things all the time about how great their product is. That's their job. So who, how can you trust people? So what I'm trying to do is break through barriers now that I have my time. Which So we offered a, a sachet, 140 gram sachet to anyone in Ireland. And it was a risk, obviously, because it would cost a couple of euros to you know post it and the cost of the actual product itself. But it just, it allowed me to talk like someone would send me their address. I would say it's on the way. They would say, thanks so much. Please let me know what you think. They'd come back to me after they have the sample. Here's a discount code for your first order. And I've built this rapport with someone for three or four or five emails. 
and they've most of them have bought from the sample. So I want to cut the the you know that return like the need for someone to return it because they've tasted it and they've gotten over that barrier. And the other thing I did with Chip Up um, once I started was so I'll just show you. So this is the the pouch. So sometimes in the manufacturing, like this bit of air that's in it is squished out of it and the packaging doesn't look 100% like I would like to send it out to someone on their first order. So I asked the guys in the Irish Fulfillment Centre, could they put, if they identify those, could they put them in a different box and set it up as a different skew? And I called it Waste Not Want Not. So I've created the same product, but a different version and it's discounted, slightly discounted, like five euros. And I've said, you know, this is my effort in food sustainability, like, because I don't want those packs to be thrown out. The product is perfect. People that like a discount are buying it. The ship Bob did an audit on all of my stock and then just anything they found, they put it in a bin and we put that up on the website. So it just meant I don't have to handle the returns of product that's less than perfect because there are people that like less than perfect. I love those examples. Those are both really good examples. I need, I need to maybe steal some of those where one you were, you know, giving, you know, the trials out to help build your email list, build rapport with the customers, like you said, they could try it first. And so their propensity to return or, or likelihood is so much less, because like you said, they've already tried it before. So why would they return it? Yeah. And that's, that's fascinating where you're, you're going the extra mile. And the product's not any different. It's just the aesthetic of the unboxing experience and, mm-hmm. and adjusting the price pretty significantly, you know, five euros just by the luck, just to reduce those returns, which can add so much complexity to your business. So related to what Karen wrote in the chat, how do you handle returns overseas or has that not really been a thing so far? Uh, touch what I've never had returns. The one, the one thing I discovered today, actually, so I'm learning all the time, but I set up a subscription system this week for heavy users and light users. So you pick one or two packs and we deliver every month. So that was a WooCommerce plugin actually that I got. So I haven't seen a repeat order. So I'm trying to figure out like how that's going to work with ShipBob and stuff. So it should come up as another order and it should just go out. But what I discovered today, and it's it's a development issue that I have to get sorted on my side, but we have a an offer of a two pack or a one pack, but it still goes in as one order. So I got an email from a customer today to say that only one of the two packs she ordered arrived. So I think we now have to, I think, set up a different SKU that clicks that it's two pouches in a pop, in a box instead of one. So is it like, you know, I was on to her straight away, you know, sent out another one straight away. But again, it's just kind of managing. If people know what to expect, they're not disappointed. Mm-hmm. Or if people like, like that, if someone gets a pack that's, looks less than perfect they might you know tell someone that it's like oh it's this price and it arrived like this Uh, whereas if you set them up with an expectation it's going to arrive like this and they know that they won't be disappointed and they might actually appreciate the honesty because i think honesty is lacking a lot around because people are skeptical like Mm -hmm. skeptical these days because they're let down by you know over promising so I think if you can be, you know, like you say, if something goes wrong, 100% I will fix it. Like I will try and fix it because one person saying something bad will trickle to 10 other people. The exact same as if you can smother them with kindness. Like that girl today, I sent her her second pouch, but I also sent her two extra little single serving samples to just say, my bad, I'm sorry, hands up. Try not to be doing that again. So I just think if 
you're nice, you're nice. People will remember that, you know, they make you, they remember how you make them feel that old saying, you know, completely agree. I feel like if businesses took anything from COVID, it was really opening up those lines of communication with their customers. Mm -hmm. And especially with everybody being home, they had a little bit more time to do so on both ends. And so it's, it's definitely something that should never go away. You, you can't go wrong by treating your customers great and, and having those open lines of communication and, and they can really feed into to what you're going to build next. So we've talked a lot about you selling on justbe.com. I know it's been a big focus for yours and with your, with your redesign and the new website, but you know, you, you're selling through Amazon as well. So maybe talk us through that a little bit, like what pushed you over the edge to start selling on Amazon, maybe what question marks did you have on Amazon that you overcame pretty quickly? And, and how's that been? I have so many questions about Amazon. It's a beast, but um, it's definitely something that you can't ignore. So because I was so busy with everything else, I, I said I just dipped my toe in the water. So in October last year, I found a, a distributor, a reseller in Ireland that d- does it, knows how to do it, does the listings. So I said, look, you know what? There's no harm in um, let's try and set up a UK listing and let's see if we can get that up and running. And the timing was dreadful because we started trying to do the listing in October and with Brexit and everything happening, we got the listing, I think, mid-January. So I'm only on UK since mid-January. But since um, I've looked at it seriously for myself to do it myself and make and bring it much more strategically into the plan, the e-commerce plan, and looking at the Europe five, so that would be Ireland, the UK are still included in the in the EU five for Amazon, Germany, Spain, Italy, and France. So the minefield I'm at at the moment is trying to figure out whether to do through one country at a time with Amazon or do pan EU. So pan EU is basically that you ship it anywhere. You pick a country, any country you like in the EU five. And Amazon are free to move it within any of those countries for storage purposes, but then that opens you up to millions more customers. The problem with that is you have to get a VAT number for every country in case they want to store your product in those countries. So then you've got VAT implications for that route. But that route is actually cheaper per pick and fill and you know fulfillment than the other version. Uh, so you have more customers, cheaper fulfillment, but you've VAT implications. What I'm trying to find out from Amazon at the moment is, is that it doesn't do it for food, the pan EU, but because my product is ambient and uh, supplement, do will they do that? So I'm trying to figure that out because that will affect that decision. If they don't, then I'm going to go for the largest market outside of the UK, which is Germany. And then I ha- I ship my stock to Germany and then the, you, you meet another problem. They don't, you have to have your product in the local language that you sell. So then it comes, okay, now I'm in the process of trying to get my label, the back of my label translated into five languages, well, four languages, apart from English, and see if I can fit it all on the same page or else I'll have to get a, a big sticker for the back of each pack that in each country I ship to. So, so yeah, it's, a, it's an animal that I am looking forward to getting to know much more this year. But again, so with me being, you know, on my own, not having 10 hands, I spoke to a friend of mine that has dealt with Amazon from Singapore and Asia through his company. And his advice was find an Amazon prep FBA person. And then I sent Brian a page uh, from ShipBob an email going, you don't happen to do FBA prep, do you? And she went, absolutely Here's the link to the page. So uh, another problem solved. Another, you know, so when I'm ready, 
you know, they pick, they charge to put the Amazon sticker on, they ship it. But you know what? It's cheaper than me spending time trying to stick on labels that I haven't a clue about. So yeah, get the experts in, sure. Good. I, I like it. I've got so many questions there and it brings me back to my time at Watchmaster. We were based in in Berlin and me being an American and living over there and some things are easier in the US and some things are harder and, and vice versa with over in Europe. But like that and cross border is just not something we deal with when we ship across state lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, granted, like sales tax might be slightly different, but it's just a much easier, you know, problem to navigate. Question here from Bridget, your experience selling Amazon, from your perspective, does it make international sales easier selling through Amazon versus your website? And does it make handling that any easier selling on Amazon versus your website? So with my website, because I'm based in Ireland, most of my customers are going to be Irish, really. So in the VAT respect, and it's funny, I got a VAT ruling on my product recently as a supplement. So in Ireland, that's 13.5% VAT. Then you go to Germany, it's 19. Then you go to the UK, it's 23. So there's different. So the challenge I was having was someone told me what you should be doing on your website is having your price and then at cart, add VAT. And personally, as a customer, I hate when I see that because it feels deceptive. Even though as a business owner now, I know why they're doing it. It still feels like you're getting screwed for extra money that you didn't account for at, at the cart. So I've decided with my own website that it is what it is. The prices, you know, and if I have to take the extra VAT hit, I'm going to take the extra VAT hit for different countries. But as far as Amazon, yeah, I would say I can't guarantee, I can't say for certain, but I would imagine that like simply from the, the point that Amazon can bump you up their listings. And if you get a run where you're getting good listings, getting, getting good reviews on Amazon, you're going to be open to millions more customers than you are through my own website. Like my website is me building my brand personally through mm-hmm. it's the hard slog of trying to get people onto my website. Amazon, you have so many people that you don't know or that you never think might be into your product. So it's it's like a big fishing expedition where, you know, there's a bit of risk, there's a bit of chance, there's a bit of luck, you know, going into it. So you never know what can happen. And I can like ask me this time next year what happened, but I can't say that for certain. But what Amazon do, and uh, they do things well, is they have an, a service called Amazon VAT Services. So it's a platform on Amazon where you can go on and apply for VAT in every country. You tick, 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 tick. And they tell you it's all, it's like VAT for dummies. You go on and you they go, you need these six forms, right, for, for the UK VAT. And then they go, click here to see what the form looks like. Because, you know, when someone goes, um, you know, you need the constitution for your business. You go, what's the constitution again? I can't remember. And then they go, click. Oh, it looks like this. Oh, I know where that document is. You know, so it's so simplified and they just handhold you through the whole process and then you submit them and if a, if a form or if a, anything is wrong they'll email you and say you uploaded the wrong form it's actually looks like this can you go find this you actually have to email this authority and request a replacement if you haven't got it like it's so simple now it has taken like a couple of weeks to get all the forms together and then now I got an email yesterday to say your VAT has been submitted to the UK government and the German government. And then if there's the next thing I should hopefully get is my VAT numbers. So Amazon, I'm assuming your website doesn't, but with Amazon, do they not have like a dynamic VAT calculator based off of like where the, the prospective buyer is located? 
Yeah, so this is a bit different. This is that um, you're responsible for your own VAT returns monthly for your sales on Amazon. So right, right, but you couldn't put like your price at whatever a hundred dollars for simple math, and then you're going to charge a hundred and thirteen fifty euro in Ireland and a hundred and seventeen euro or hundred nineteen euro in Germany to account for the VAT. I have seen actually in some listings recently that they're showing the price ex VAT, but I think there's a standard VAT and then you have to, I can't answer that question really, to be honest, because I, I haven't thought of it until you said it, but I'm presuming there's a standard VAT. Mm-hmm. I only know that in the UK, when I get charged the, the UK VAT rate from Amazon. Okay. So maybe it's like you said, maybe it's it's different, but what what I have to do is, I have to input sales from Germany. So let's say I'm selling on in, in Germany on Amazon, but I'm also selling in retail in Germany. I can take that number of sales and add it onto Amazon through the same platform and submit them as one and just submit them whatever the cost I have to the German authorities. So nice. I'm just saying actually that it probably would make sense that it's country dependent. Awesome. So we got another question from Karen, and then and then I've got a question where I always uh, cl- close this out on. I'm excited to see what you say. So from Karen, are you able to offer samples to other countries, or is that cost prohibitive? And you charge for shipping only, or is it free? Because Karen says that she's in the U.S., but she's very interested in, in utilizing sampling. So I ha- so there's been a couple of people from the U.K. that have asked me for a sample and I've sent it because it's only two euros postage. And like that, the samples fit in an envelope, so it's not a package going. So if someone is curious, I have no problem. Like if they contact me directly, I have no problem. Luckily, a thousand people from America haven't asked me for a sample. But again, I'm kind of looking at Ireland, UK, Europe. So until I was talking to Paige today, I'm just talking. Again, Ship Bob is putting me in touch with someone in the States that we're going to have a conversation of how complicated would it be for me to ship a pallet to the States? Then how could I drum up customers in the States to get that pallet out of the warehouse? And, you know, so I want to go global, but I, I don't know if I'm running too fast. So I'm just, you know, yeah, we'll see. And you don't, you don't charge for shipping? Oh, not sample shipping. No, if, if, I'm, if I'm doing a sample, it's a gift. Okay. It's, yeah, it's a gift. I'm going to take the risk on that and the hit and that whatever, because I think it's worth it. And again, the first time we put that up, I got 225 emails. That's awesome. So I know a lot of authors will do that with books. And maybe the books are just like the Trojan horse for their courses. But it's, you know, whatever, spend $5 or $7 on shipping and handling and, and we'll give you the book for free. So question for you to close this out. Uh, a longtime entrepreneur. I love your story where you fought through it for years and, you know, you made a big decision to go more shelf stable recently. And, and I've seen a lot of growth and success there. And I'm excited to see how you bring it over to the US. So what is your number one piece of advice for entrepreneurs today? Live in a bubble, a bubble where you do it your own way. So I had a conversation yesterday with someone and she said, are you always getting like stick for, you know, design first or design led or, you know, making this or being a lone entrepreneur, whatever. And I said to her, I said, if you're going to spend all of this time and heartache and, you know, resilience, fighting and everything, you better do it your own way and make your own decisions. And don't listen to a lot of advisors. Like I have a lot of mentors and advisors and you can be over-advised and you can be, you can get really confused in that space and you can distrust your own uh, purpose. 
So for me, it's why did I get into this in the first place? I don't like, I've never worked for anybody else. I've never had a job, so I don't want to start now. But I, you know, you want to build something that's, I, I don't know whether it's a personal thing, but I, in, in, when I grew up, it was, if you were an artist, you know, you were broke and you, you know, why would you choose art, an art as a career? I did it because I loved it. I'm doing this because I love it. You know, it's, it's tough, but it's, uh, it's something worthwhile and it's, it's making me like happy. So happy and distraught at the same time. Like it's a complete paradox, but I'm doing it my way. I have a, a poster up here. Do you know, um, Ralph Steadman, that he is mm-hmm. the artist for Leaving Las Vegas. Or yeah, Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. So I have his poster up here. My husband got me for my 40th. It says, I'm not like the others. And it's one of his big things. So if I'm making a decision for just be to conform to the norm, which is, you know, it's in this category or we're going to label it this way, I look here and I go, okay, decision is we're going to go the complete opposite to what anybody expects me to do because that's my way. I love that. H- happy and distraught. But I like how you called that out where there's paralysis by analysis. And I think the same thing could be done by advice. And like you said, you know, you know what your mission is and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do it is, is your way. And even look at the founders of the largest companies in the world, you know, who's never been in the position that they've been in, like anybody it's, it's they're doing it for the first time as well. And so you got to do it your way. So you don't know what you don't know. So every day is a school day. Exactly. Well, Leonie, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. You can definitely you know, feel your enthusiasm for your business. And like I said earlier, it's excited to see where it goes. And for everybody in the audience that joined, again, there's so much you could do with your time. And so appreciate you joining us here. And we'll see you all next week. So thank you very much. Bye, everyone.